the Lions. Anything can and will happen. The radio announcer, bless his heart, says the kick's up, it hits the crossbar, it's in. And I, as usual, have to listen to why my Lions have found the most creative way to lose every single time. Dean Campbell's crazy. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off. I'm 65. I've lived in Detroit my whole life. I'm a big Lions fan. I was alive when the Lions won their only championship in 1957. I was only a year old, so I don't remember too much of it. But uh, <laughs> You don't remember any of it, be honest. The Detroit Lions were so, so, so close. This keeps happening. It doesn't matter who coaches. It doesn't matter who runs it. It doesn't matter who owns it. We're going to find a way to lose every time. And I just don't know how to deal with it anymore. So I figured I'd ask you, as a Lions fan, what should I possibly do at this point? Who says we can't get flexed? This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. We adopted the Lions going back to the preseason. And really, last year, we saw the signs of it with Dan Campbell changing the culture. The fact that they fight hard. Uh, You don't necessarily want to see the Lions in a game that you must win. And even after starting one and six, they refuse to throw in the towel on the season. It's pretty incredible what we've seen from them since then. They started out one and six. Now they're eight and eight. And as they head into Lambeau on Sunday night in Green Bay, the Lions do need other chips to fall their way. But let's just say for the sake of argument, the Seahawks lose to the Rams earlier in the day. That means the Lions beat the Packers and they're in as an NFC wild card. Only one other team in NFL history has ever made the playoffs after winning only one of its first seven games. We'll get to that nerd alert coming up. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. We love Dan Campbell. I swear I'm not a lunatic, but next to Mike Tomlin, he might be my favorite NFL head coach to hear from in the league. We just stayed the course, you know? I mean, that was, like we came into the year and that's that's where we were at. And, uh, um, you know, we hit a rough spot. We stayed with it and then, here we are. I mean, I, I just think more than anything, it's, um, I don't know what it says. I'm just rambling right now. <laughs> I don't know. I just know for us, it means something that we, we uh, climbed back out of the, the cellar and, and got ourselves uh, in position to, to play for one more meaningful game here before the year ends, man. And uh, that's a step in the right direction. From one and six to eight and eight, and now a chance at the postseason. I don't know what it says. I'm just rambling here. Dan Campbell, love this guy. We are pleased to spend some time in Detroit right now. And for the first time in a long time, welcome a Lions-specific guest to After Hours. Justin Rogers covers the Lions for the Detroit News and he joins us. It's past his bedtime, but this is a big deal. So the Lions finally get flexed the very last weekend of the NFL season. Dan Campbell gets his wish. What's the atmosphere, the tone around the team right now as they head into this final week of the regular season? Yeah, it's funny. You go into this season and every single one of the Lions games were at 1 o'clock on the dot. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I've ever even seen something quite like that. So... A uh, little bit of a curveball in, in week 18, but there is a 
genuine excitement. I think the the thing that I've um, appreciated about Dan Campbell is, is a lot of coaches will try to downplay the magnitude of the moment. They'll try to keep their guys level. They'll say, it's just another game. We have to treat it like another game. And that has been the exact opposite of how he's approached this. He has embraced the moment. He wants his guys to recognize the magnitude of the moment. And it's a very young roster. I believe at the uh, start of the regular season, it was the second youngest in the NFL. So this is a wow. a big test for them, right? They've won seven of nine. They've they've clawed out of this one and six hole. They're, they're figuring out how to win. They're figuring out how to finish games. Um, they're, they're figuring out how to come overcome these hurdles that have plagued the organization for years that maybe you know they don't have a appreciation or understanding for but you know it matters to the fan base and this is really kind of the latest of those challenges of being under the bright lights and and playing in a game that is um, you know potentially very very meaningful with the playoff spot on the line and if not still the opportunity to finish with a winning record to show that this rebound is on the right track and to uh, you know knock the Packers out which I I think is not a bad consolation prize for, for these players and, and certainly for the fan base. Mm, well, and stranger things have happened. They're in line for a playoff spot. It very well could fall to them, depending on what happens with the Seahawks and the Rams. So, Justin, last year in Dan Campbell's first season, they were competitive. They fought, they scratched, they clawed. They made life difficult for their opponents, but the wins didn't necessarily come as a result. What has been a difference this year in some of these games where they actually have been able to come away with the W's? Well, there's, there's a lot of differences, obviously. But I remember last year in training camp watching the practices, and I, I turned to a colleague and, um, you know, no no hyperbole. I just said, look, this this might be the worst offense in the NFL. Like, it was just – it was incongruent. The talent wasn't there. They weren't meshing. Um, and, and really that, that kind of came into fruition for the first three quarters of that season. And look, late in the year, Amon Ross St. Brown emerged, um, you know, has really become one of the, the league's bright young stars at that position. They picked up Josh Reynolds, you know, not a star by any means, but a guy that had chemistry with, with Jared Goff. And they, and they started clicking at the end of that season. They go into this off season, they get more pieces. They, they go sign DJ Chark. They, the offensive line, which was, a revolving door of injuries last year. All those guys get healthy, or, or most of them get healthy. And this offense has been one of the best in the NFL this year. You know, the, the defense really struggled out the gate, uh, kind of was on pace for, you know, to be one of the worst defenses in the history of the NFL. But they've kind of figured some things out, too, schematically. Um, the young unit, as I mentioned, kind of with the rest of the rosters that are all kind of growing together. We've got so many rookies contributing in the starting lineup that they're on pace just one more stack. They're going to have the most stacks mm. by rookies in NFL history. So it's just, it's a matter of a young roster gelling at the right time, building on their experiences and, and coming together. And, and you're seeing that. We're so excited to be talking about the Lions as we head into week 18, still alive for a playoff spot in the NFC. Justin Rogers covers the team for the Detroit News. How long have you been covering this team? I think this is year 11. <laughs> I, I, sometimes I stop counting. I start counting by the number of coaches at some point. Oh, man. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. Talking defense and a young defense. Uh, I am captivated by Aiden Hutchinson. What difference has he made on that side of the ball? You know, the Lions pass rush was you know really awful for uh, you know basically the entirety of, of Matt Patricia's tenure here. And they, they really needed help there. Um, and, and Hutchinson's been a big part of that, right? He's been a stabilizing force. If you look at the snap counts, he's played 
third or fourth most snaps of any defensive lineman in the entire NFL. Wow. So rookie wall be damned. This guy just plowed through it and just said the other, you know, maybe two weeks ago, it felt like it was week three. He's just got um, really impressive endurance, stamina to uh, continue to contribute at a high level late in the season, despite never really doing this for um, the playmaker. The sacks are there. The pressure's there. He's got three interceptions. I mean, you know, that's a, a really fluky stat for a defensive end, but he has that that rare athleticism to match the the, uh, the motor that goes into it. And then the Lions recently, you know, another guy that just merits mention is James Houston. Six-round draft pick, on the practice squad for half a year. They call him up before the Thanksgiving game. He plays five snaps in his debut. Two snaps, or I'm sorry, two sacks in five snaps, and it has <laughs> not stopped. He has played 100 snaps, approximately, he has eight sacks. He has more sacks than Aiden Hutchinson. He has more sacks in anybody in NFL history in their first six games. This guy has been a game changer, and you know, really looks like the Lions stumbled upon a gem here that, that has a long-term or the potential to be a long-term piece. It's pretty incredible to think about uh, the trajectory of the team and the, and similar, actually, to the Packers. Now, their experience is different, but we're kind of dead in the water and now have put together this awesome second half, which forces a clash in Week 18. Other than, say, a Jared Goff, who, of course, has been to a Super Bowl, how much experience does this team have in games where you're talking significant stakes on the line? Yeah, we looked it up today, and we were just kind of counting the guys on the roster that have playoff experience. It was more than I expected. You know, there's 15 guys, but that's when you start getting down to guys that maybe are primarily special teamers or even the kicker. Um, but, you know, a lot of these guys also played at high-level programs. I talked to, you know, Hutchinson today, and I said, how much does this this experience compare to the Ohio State game last year? When you went into it undefeated, knowing for years your program at Michigan struggled to beat Ohio State, but you needed to beat them to get to the next goal, to get to the college football playoffs. I mean, it's, it's very similar in a lot of ways. It's, mm. it's the bright lights shining. And so they've gone through these experiences in, in other ways. Um, but that is the test this week, right? It's, it's how will these guys respond? They've, they've responded to most of the challenges along the way. There's the, uh, the Carolina game where – you know, they got punched in the mouth, and it was uh, a little bit of a an unexpected, jarring experience for them. But they they responded in the following week, and they came back and they beat the Bears handily, forty-one to ten. So they keep responding to these little challenges within the whole entirety of the season, and this is just the latest one. When that trade went down and Matthew Stafford went to L.A., it seemed as though the Lions had gotten the raw end of the deal. Rams go on to win the Super Bowl and Stafford has this great season. But where have you seen Jared Goff make an impact? What is different, better in season two with the Lions? Yeah, I want to go back to that that trade for a second. And and it really felt like the perfect trade for both teams at the time. You know, the Lions were clearly tearing it down to the studs and with Jared Goff, they also got back two first-round picks and a third-round pick. Like that's a lot of draft equity to to kickstart a rebuild. And then you look at Goff as a piece himself. Look at the former number one draft pick, the guy that had been to two Pro Bowls. He had led a team to the Super Bowl, and you know that there's there's talent there. There's limitations. Otherwise, the Rams wouldn't have dealt him. But it's something you can work with from the terms of a, a toughness standpoint, a leader standpoint, a talent standpoint. Um, you're not going into a season with a guy that can't play the position at all. And I think Goff had some 
fairly clear flaws in his his resume. You know, never was a guy that really dealt well with pressure. His deep ball was never, um, you know, close to the top of the league in terms of accuracy when throwing downfield. And he had a propensity for for making uh, almost a mistake a game, a big mistake, a turnover, a a bad decision that would, um, you know, maybe it would or it wouldn't cost the team depending on the roster talent, but this certainly was a, a roster that could afford that one big mistake. And even this season, to start the year during that one and six stretch, there, there were so many of those plays where he made the big interception, the, the loss to Seattle. He had a pick six. They lose by three. New England, they're kind of hanging tough in the first half. He loses a fumble. It's returned all the way for a touchdown, and they end up getting blown out in that game. Man, he has turned a corner <laughs> in the second half of the season, and it's it's really unbelievable. All those criticisms I just said, the deep ball, the mistakes, they've all evaporated. And it, you know, some of that has to do with the roster getting healthy. Some of that has to do with his um, you know, indescribable chemistry with, with first-year offensive coordinator Ben Johnson and kind of the, the symbiotic relationship they built. But I think the most impressive thing about golf has been this freak of passes without interception. Ah. Yeah, for, for years, like, you know, I, like I said, he, he averaged about, you know, nearly a pick a game for, for some stretches. And he has thrown 290 consecutive passes. He's gone a streak of seven games without an interception. I mean, it just blows away anything he's ever done previously. <laughs> he's making such good decisions with the football. And I, I made the comment today that, like, it's almost like he and Aaron Rodgers have flipped the script of what their career is about. Aaron mm. Rodgers has always been that ball security guy, right? Right. Look at this year, 11 interceptions, even when they're winning right now, this four-game winning streak. Not Aaron Rodgers is the reason they're winning. It's their defense. It's their special teams. He's playing very pedestrian right now. Uh, I think it's saw 87 passer rating, four touchdowns, one per game, two picks during this, this four-game stretch. Like, it's just it's, – it's so strange to go into this game and think about the way the quarterbacks are playing coming into it. It's just the opposite of what you'd expect going into this one. I actually have made the comment that I won my fantasy football championship in spite of having Aaron Rodgers as my quarterback. So I know well uh, in terms of his numbers, his stats, uh, that they weren't MVP-like. Justin Rodgers is with us from the Detroit News talking about the Lions week 18 against the Packers. And there are playoff implications on Sunday Night Football. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. Certainly, this was a different week for the NFL, atypical week. What did you hear from the Lions, whether it be players or coaches, about uh, watching and waiting for news uh, of DeMar Hamlin? It's, it's such a strange thing, right? You know, we, we watch this game, we're around this game all the time, and you know, you know inherently the risk of, of the violent nature of the game is that anybody can be one play away from something awful happening, but yet we see this, and it's just so jarring for all of us. And the Lions had a situation earlier this season where, you know, a cornerback was, was hit in the head, uh, neck, shoulder area, went down, was temporarily paralyzed. The, mm. the ambulance had to be driven onto the field, and, and you have that eight to ten minutes of just chilling silence as everybody's just kind of waiting and hoping and praying that, that he's all right. It, it wasn't quite to the level of, of Hamlin, obviously. The, the heart was still beating. The, the movement was restored before he was taken off the field, but it's just so, so terrifying. And it just, um, you know, just is a constant reminder of uh, every play is nothing's given to you. You know, the, the next moment is not given to you in this world. And um, I 
defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn really brought it home today um, in, a, in a way I guess I had completely forgotten, um, at least in his role in it. But you know, the Lions have had their fair share of, of tragedy uh, on the field. Um, Chuck Hughes in 1971, the only player to ever die mm-hmm. in an NFL game, played for the Lions. 1991, um, Mike Utley was paralyzed. And in 1997, in the last game of the season, uh, game fairly notable for, for Barry Sanders becoming one of the few running backs the top 2,000 yards in the season, linebacker Reggie Brown had to receive life-saving CPR after a, a spinal injury uh, caused a blockage of his airway and, and kind of very similar to the, the Hamlet situation. And in that game, Aaron Glenn was on the opposing team playing for the New York Jets. And not only that, Reggie Brown was his college teammate and oh. close friend. And so that game, that injury occurred with 11 minutes to go. And what's wild is, you know, they, they finished the game. They finished the game after they watched a player on the field turning blue and purple in the face and, and getting CPR and just the, the moment. Like, you just you don't know what's happening to this, this guy, whether he's your teammate or your opponent. Like, it's still a brotherhood, right? And so they had to, you know, kind of find a way to quickly bury those emotions. And it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to ask, to ask somebody to bury their emotions in a situation like that. But they had to finish that game. Um, and so, you know, just, just to hear Glenn talk about it from that perspective was um, you know, just a, just another reminder of, uh, you know, how precious, I guess, uh, you know, life is yes. for all these players. And, and I guess the... Um, you know, it's obviously just been good news after good news after hmm. good news after Hamlin went down, and it's uh, you know hopefully going to continue in that direction. I think everybody's just hoping for the best right now. Mm. Definitely feels as though the league can move forward into Week 18 with less of that heaviness and the concern because of the fact that Demar is awake and his doctors have indicated he's making incredible progress. Before I let you go, Justin, I have to tell you one of my favorite things that I've heard this NFL season goes back to hard knocks with the Lions when Dan told the team, I promise you I'm not a lunatic. Covering him, what's it like to be around this guy who is unique in the NFL? You know, I think the, the wildest part about him is, I don't think it makes you crazy, but it's, it's kind of crazy to find someone in this business that is as genuine and as authentic and um, thoughtful as he is mm-hmm. in his position. You know, coaches are so robotic in this league and often they don't enjoy the media obligations. Um, There's a, a ton of pressure in that job. I mean, I, I understand it from that aspect, but um, you know, we joke sometimes that like Campbell's unable to lie. Like it just, he doesn't have the bone in his body. So if he doesn't want to answer a question instead of BSing you, he'll kind of just steer it off into a different direction. Or he'll just tell you, I'm not answering that. Like it's, it's rewarding as a reporter that if you put the time in to come up with thoughtful questions that you will genuinely and frequently get thoughtful, meaningful responses. It just makes mm-hmm. the job easier. And so, um, and it's, it's also nice to, to know that, um, you know, the person you're dealing with respects what you do. Like it, it's not always that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, the job is going to be there and it, the job is the job, but it does make it easier knowing when you go into work that the relationship is positive in the way to make it 
easier to do the job. And it, and it trickles down with him, too. I mean, he, the way he treats the players, the staffers in the building, the media, um, is, is shown also through um, his assistant coaches. And it, it really carries into the locker room. I mean, I think I've had, in my opinion, I know we've, we've been out of the locker rooms for a few years, obviously, with COVID, but um, just the approachability, the honest and raw conversations I've been able to have in the locker room this year have been as good as ever. And that's in large part because of the players they've brought in, both him and, and general manager Brad Holmes, and um, you know the, the culture that they've instilled to allow those guys to be themselves, to know that you know as long as they don't say anything stupid, they're, <laughs> they're not going to be punished um, for, for being themselves and speaking freely. They, the authenticity is encouraged, not just from the top down, but across the entire roster. And that's, that's a rewarding thing to cover from a journalist perspective. And I think it's a rewarding thing for fans to see that from their head coach. Mm, it definitely makes them easy to root for. They're gaining momentum around the league and more and more people talking about the Lions after they have a chance to make the playoffs despite a 1-6 and six start. It's only happened one other time in NFL history. You can find Justin on Twitter at Justin underscore Rogers. Covers the Lions for the Detroit News. We'll be there at Lambeau for Week 18 under the lights. Justin, Happy New Year to you. Thank you so much for a couple of minutes. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you for having me. Lions and Packers, their first meeting, I forgot about this, there were a ton of Packers who were injured, and in the third quarter, it was 8 nothing Lions, so this game was taking place in Detroit, again, this is week nine, so it's going back to when the Packers were still in the midst of their two, or excuse me, their four and eight run. But yeah, it was a game in which Aaron Rodgers threw multiple interceptions, even as we talk about Jared Goff versus Aaron Rodgers this year. They ended up losing 15 to 9, the Packers did to the Lions in that game. 15 to 9. So neither offense played well. But it was definitely a game where Rodgers did not perform at MVP level. And so here is a chance for the Packers to have redemption. They host this game at Lambeau. But it's also an opportunity for the Lions to take another massive step forward. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Justin Rogers in Detroit. First time in, oh gosh, at least two years that we've done a Lions-specific interview and had a Lions guest. <laughs> All right, we'll get back to more of Week 18. Great news coming from Cincinnati. Also, a couple, I wouldn't say they're super shocking, but a couple of other headlines in sports that got buried this week, but you need to know. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Oh, baby. So why don't you just meet me in the middle? You're listening to After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Hey, doing, Amy? Good. Long time listener, first time caller. Sweet. Miss Amy, it's good to finally talk to the coolest girl on radio. Woo! Love your show. First time caller, long time listener. We're glad to keep you company. Hi, Amy. It's a real honor to talk to you. Thank you. Hey, good morning, Ayla. Love listening to the show. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I just want to tell you I am so happy to have my boyfriend introduce me to you and to listen to you. I have learned so much from you because I listen to you every single night. I'm a new listener. Just recently started listening, but I love your show. Oh. Very awesome stuff. Well, you saved the best for last, man. Thanks so much. I'm Thanks. <laughs>
After Hours with Amy Lawrence. It's definitely a strange dichotomy when you get to week 18 and some teams don't have any playoff implications riding on their games. Either they've already clinched or they can't smell the playoffs from where they are. And yet other games matter because this is it. This is your last chance. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. You can find me on Twitter, Radio. Love the conversation this week. And it was really cool. I don't know how many people were seeing my Twitter with the DeMar Hamlin updates and getting that news for the first time time, but if there was anyone, I was pleased to share it. And so I was uh, in the middle of the day. I'm not usually awake at this point. I think it was about 1.30 Eastern time, 1.30 Cincinnati time. And I once I realized the doctors were about to do a press conference, I couldn't go back to sleep. And so instead, I was mad retweeting and sharing and refreshing so that I could see what was happening. I wasn't listening to the press conference live, but then later in the evening, when I was eating my dinner, I was sitting in front of the TV and the NFL Network was replaying the entire Zoom call with the two doctors. So I had a chance to go back and to watch it. Uh, so yeah, that, it just feels like this weight has been lifted. And now these teams can go forward and focus on week 18 and the task at hand. And for the Bills, of course, uh, they need to win to put themselves in a position where They would kind of force this whole neutral site if they would make it to the AFC championship. Uh, No doubt that the Patriots are going to bring everything they've got because they need to beat the Bills to get into the playoffs. So we were thinking about the Week 18 schedule and the games that should be in the After Hours Game of the Week poll. And Jay tells me that three of them are fairly obvious. So, Jay, what three did you come up with for the Game of the Week poll that we will be posting uh, once we hand over to Marco Belletti? I think Saturday night's Titans-Jaguars is a got to be on there. When was the, the last division. time anyone said that? Yeah. Jacksonville and a team that's lost six games in a row. But that is one of the Game of the Week options. <laughs> Has to be. The implications are huge. It's for the division. Winner goes in, loser goes home. Not to mention the winner hosts a playoff game in, yeah. in the first weekend of the playoffs, which is kind of crazy. All right. So if we go Jacksonville, Tennessee, people will yell at me if we don't. So I think we have to. All right. The next one's got to be New England at Buffalo. Yes. Check. Third one, I think, has to be Lions at Packers. I don't even know why you put that one third, but yes, check. Well, just because, I mean, I saw it last on the schedule. but uh, And then the fourth one here is where I feel like there's four games, at least, I have write, written down, which could be in contention. All right, should we let Marco pick? Yeah. <laughs> Marco Belletti's here. So, obviously, there are games where only one of the teams has anything riding on it, but they have implications. So, Seattle, Los Angeles, I'm going no. It's not that I don't care, but by the time we get to Sunday Night Football, we're going to know whether or not that one matters. Um, it just, yeah. So, Miami, New York would be another one, but dear Lord, who, I don't, just, See, that one wasn't even part of my ones. There's so many that are, yeah, Miami's right lost five in a row now after winning five in a row and the Jets are, well, they're not ending on a high note. Let's put it that way. Pittsburgh, Cleveland is another one where the Steelers have to win to be able to keep their playoff hopes alive, but it certainly rests first on New England uh, what about Cincinnati, Baltimore? The game doesn't actually matter in terms of AFC North. So I, the no, Bengals are now ma- winning the AFC North. It could matter in who hosts a playoff game if they play each other the week after. That's so. true. What about Dallas, Washington? Sam Howell's first. 
And the Cowboys still have a shot at the one seed. They do. And so you could go that or you go Philadelphia, New York. The Giants are already locked into the sixth seed, right, in the NFC. So I don't know. You you pick. You be the you be the final Out of say. All of that yes. nonsense. Nonsense. Um, <laughs> well, because I mean, none of them really. They don't really have a whole lot of cachet because there's 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 reasons why they don't work. Right. Um, Dallas, Washington would be fun. The Giants are headed to the playoffs for the first time at 16, 17, 16, 16. and the boat tour. And so they're they're. I mean, the Eagles are trying to recover. Is Jalen playing? Do we know we if Jalen Hurts is playing yet? No, we don't know. So, all right. Anyway, up up to you, Marco. You're the smart one in the room. Oh, I don't know about that one. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? As ugly as it is, it probably has a lot of implications. It might be the Jets and the Dolphins. Oh. <laughs> exactly. I just want to point out that was Jay. That was not me. And, that I mean, was you might Jay's have reaction. Skyler Thompson taking on Joe Flacco. I, I mean... We don't know if Mike White's 100% healthy. He was limited in practice. Yeah, he with that wasn't rib 100% last weekend, but you right, would think but he he'd was, be starting. Anyway. He was a full participant in practice two days ago. Okay. Yesterday, he was limited. He didn't go to availability for the media. There's some talk that that injury could be worse, and he may not be able to go. He may not go. Do they go back to Zach Wilson? Do they go to Joe Flacco? No. Do they go to Chris Streveler? I mean, that's game, that Who? game is... Ugly. All the way around is ugly. And the Dolphins may have to go with Skylar Thompson, but you assume, let's just say, if the Bills beat you know the what Patriots. Happens when you assume. You, if you have the Bills winning against the Patriots, that game is for a possible playoff spot. I mean, you want to go to a nicer game, I guess, the Steelers. A but they nicer need, game. They need two things to happen. Right. They the need Dolphins need the one. Dolphins to lose. Yeah. So, you know. Well, the Dolphins need two. The Pats have to lose, and the Dolphins have to win. But, well, yeah, but I kind of put that in. They at this need point, one thing. do we want the Dolphins in the playoffs? Well, I mean, again, but the Steelers need two things. They need the Patriots to lose and the Dolphins to lose. So they need a lot of help. And th- then they have to win. Actually, right. three things right. have I, to happen. Well, I always kind of go that. You, you can't say, well, we're going to lose on top of it. Like, I, I kind of take that one for yeah. granted. But, yeah, so there's there's not a lot there. There's not a whole lot. You want to go with Seattle? I mean, that's an ugly, ugly game. But they keep their playoff hopes alive. A loss knocks them out. Uh, there's really not a lot there. But they you, still need help, too, obviously. Well, they need the Lions to win then right. on Sunday night against the Packers because once Green Bay wins, they're in. So um, yeah. there's not a whole lot there. That's a bunch of crap. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. you got three games, and then you've got a bunch of, meh. Yeah. All right. Well, he says Jets-Dolphins, so I guess that's where we're going. Jets and Dolphins. Jets officially eliminated. Their quarterback situation is an unmitigated disaster again. And the Dolphins have lost five in a row. But, you know, there's playoffs on the line. That, this is the NFL. What are the chances it gets even 2% of the vote? <laughs> well, again, anybody rooting for uh, voting for any of these four games, I mean, we're, we're going through the hat. The Bengals-Ravens game is a decent game, yes. even though Tyler Huntley is probably going to play a quarterback again. Uh, it's a decent game. It just doesn't mean a whole lot, you know. Like right. you got to get the Except Ravens for to win. Potentially the one seed, but you need the Ravens to win, and then the Chargers to win, and then it comes down to possibly a coin flip if the Chiefs okay. lose right. and the Bills All right. win. All right. Exactly. There's so much there that it's like, wait, what? What am no, I looking for? Uh, you're confusing me. Stop it. Uh, okay, so we're just going to go with the one Marco picked, with his, which is Jets and Dolphins. So that means all four of the AFC East teams are in our poll. Okay. Uh, I might have to overrule as much as we just had fun conversation. I might have to go Ravens, Bengals myself, but, or, or Rams, Seahawks, but gah, I don't, ew, never, can we just put three in the poll then? You know, that I, 
All was right. kind of leaning towards that. Yeah, That's what I was kind of getting at. You got three games. Aesthetically pleasing. But... Oh, okay, Jay. Because there's nothing about Jay that isn't aesthetically pleasing. You only have three games. You really do. Everything else has got um, stink around it for some uh, one, one reason or another. I like my football with some stink every now and then. Okay, so you're going to find that poll coming up after our CBS on Twitter, on our Facebook page, too. Uh, we're, we're just excited to get back to some football because it also means that there's – Positive news around DeMar Hamlin at the NFL is going forward full speed ahead. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. His dad said the first thing that he's going to ask when he wakes up is who won the game. And sure enough, that's what he did, man. And uh, his teammates, he... You love hearing that response, that the first thing on his mind wasn't, you know, poor me. It was, how are my teammates doing? Did we win this game? And that's powerful in itself, man. And I don't think people really understand the the bond and the relationship and the brotherhood that you have as an NFL team, especially this one here. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. That is the voice of Josh Allen, captain, quarterback, locker room leader for the Buffalo Bills. And he says Mario Hamlin told them that DeMar will want to know who won the game when he finally wakes up and becomes cognizant. Uh, And apparently he didn't realize that he'd been there two days, that he was really kind of blown away when he found out that he'd been in a hospital bed for a couple of days. And he's still in ICU. He's not out of the woods he does have some lung damage, though they're not able to assess how much. Uh, the The next step is for him to be able to breathe on his own without the ventilator. But the fact that he woke up this week, the fact that they do not believe that there is neurological damage, that it, it sounds like his neurological function is intact, that's amazing. And he is able to communicate and move his hands and feet. And all of this is Huge. It's massive. Uh, and his family is over the moon excited, as you can imagine, as is his medical team. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, a lot of the focus, a lot of the conversation um, that I've seen on our social media over the last 24 hours has been about T. Higgins. Now, I will confess, I don't really understand that. It It's... It's social media, which means it's a cesspool anyway. People always have to complain and find a scapegoat or point fingers. That's what social media is about for the most part. Um, But how in the world anyone could think this was T. Higgins' fault is beyond me. He was the one getting tackled. Uh, And I know that people are pointing to how he uh, lowered his head, blah, blah, blah. But this is a routine football play. If... DeMar Hamlin doesn't stumble backward. No one thinks twice. No one even gives this a sideways glance and believes there's anything wrong with the way that T. Higgins and DeMar Hamlin collided and the way the tackle was made. And yet, for some reason, T. has been the target of fans, I guess. I don't know how you can call yourself fans when you're going after T. Higgins, uh, but it's been the target of some criticism on social media. And he actually explains his thoughts in that moment. Um, and and you, you can imagine his emotions of the last couple of days, but uh, taking us back to that tackle on Monday night. 
First, you know, you know, me being a football player, I think he just, you know, just flopped. One of my, one of our guys bumped him. And I looked, I just I'd seen him fall, but you know, I looked again. I seen what happened, uh, so I just turned my head, trying not to think about it. So I knew it was something crazy and something tragic. But um, I mean, it, it was hard. You know, um, obviously, it wasn't in a good place to play for the rest of that game. So I'm kind of glad that we, uh, you know, chose not to play. So he said, I'm kind of glad we chose not to play. He initially thought that DeMar Hamlin was flopping. Again, you can understand why. These guys see all kinds of things on the football field. Um, And in the aftermath of this collision, his emotions were, they were all over the place, similar to uh, what everyone else on that field experienced. His phone call with Hamlin's mom, Nina, so father is Mario, mom is Nina. Uh, she actually w- w- reached out to him, has been in touch, um, and told T that she's thinking of him and praying for him and telling me that Tamar is okay. That was one of the things that T revealed, uh, good and positive stuff. And so you can imagine that that's a, another weight lifted off of the shoulders of Higgins too, because whether or not he bears any responsibility, sometimes as humans, we feel guilty, even if there's nothing that we could have done or really in that moment wouldn't have changed anything. So now he, along with the Bengals are preparing to face the Ravens on Sunday. That's something that you know, it's hard. It's hard to forget about, but at the end of the day, we're, we are professional football players. We do have a job to do. And um, just got to shift your focus and, and focus on the Ravens. If, if you didn't know this, because I actually didn't know this until I was doing some reading, T. Higgins, we know, went to Clemson, but he played against DeMar Hamlin when DeMar was at Pitt, and the two spent time together, so they knew each other and worked together at Tyler Boyd's annual football camp in the Pittsburgh area because both Tyler and DeMar are from Pittsburgh. Uh, and so they had a, a connection prior to being on the field on Monday night and had played against each other before that. And so I I don't think even it's worth legitimizing people going after T. Higgins because that, to me, is absolutely ludicrous. But still, Josh Allen wanted to make sure that he spoke about T. on Thursday. I haven't reached out to, to T. I hope that, you know, he got some relief today. And I don't know, I, I saw some stuff on Twitter and um, – People should not be attacking him whatsoever, and I'm glad that Demar's family came out and said that. And I hopefully he found some some relief today because again, that's that's a football play, um, and I hope that he doesn't hold that upon himself because again, there's nothing else that he could have done in that situation. So I uh, just wanted to say that too. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, the the parents, the family being in Cincinnati to me is still one of the the great pieces of this that shouldn't be overlooked. I just think it's a miracle that they were there. How often are parents, family members uh, on site at a road game? And I know it's closer. It's not a real long trip to get from Buffalo to Cincinnati. Um, But both his parents were there, which meant they could go to the, the hospital in the ambulance with DeMar. And actually it was Dane Jackson, who is a childhood friend of DeMar's and also a former Pitt teammate who got DeMar's mom on the field on Monday night. When everything went down, I kind of like took a moment to just, I don't know why it just popped in my head that, that, that they were there. So I'd, uh, when I had seen them over there, 
by that time, Demar's mom was already uh, talking to one of the security guys on the field, uh, trying to get over there. And I had, I think it was Lynn or Dr. Daz that uh, I had uh, asked to go over there and get them help to come to get down there. So Jane Jackson, um, and I don't remember which player said this. When he saw Dane Jackson sprinting to where DeMar Hamlin had fallen backward, that's when he realized something was horribly wrong. I can't remember who it was. Was it Deion Dawkins that said that maybe? That when he realized that Dane Jackson had had like lost it and was running to where DeMar had fallen, that's when he knew this was serious. Um, and so you can imagine that he's been dealing with a wealth of emotions. We'll hear a little more from Dane and also uh, some of the others inside the Bills locker room. They had limited media availability on Thursday, but they are back to practice. There were photos of them smiling and thumbs up. And Josh has said it multiple times. There's relief in knowing they can get back to football and DeMar would want them to do that. And the family is encouraging them to get back to football. But how much easier it is now that he has awakened and that he is making progress and that they can be they can be hopeful about him uh, in the future. We do have our poll up. It does include the Patriots-Bills game because that is a win-and-get-in scenario for New England. You'll hear from Bill Belichick and Mac Jones coming up. Also, Titans-Jaguars Saturday night in Jacksonville is for the AFC South title. Lions-Packers Sunday night, you know about that one. You're going to have to check out the poll to see what else Producer Jay put in there. It's After Hours CBS Sports Radio.